Many years ago, Michael and I drove up to Coleman, Alabama to spend some time with my Uncle Jess and my Aunt Mary. One morning, we were sitting on the porch having our coffee overlooking Smith Lake. It was a beautiful morning. The breeze was blowing in cool. The birds were chirping. And my uncle had a big black book that he handed over the table to me. And he said to me, I've recorded every single book that I've ever read since I've been an adult in this book. And I took it and I opened it up and sure enough, there was uh, title after title after title with the author next to it and he dated when he read the book. It was, the list was endless. And I exclaimed my admiration to my uncle. And he said this to me, it stuck to me and you can tell that it did because I'm recounting it to you. He said, Patty, if I had to do it all over again, which I don't, I'd have given up reading every one of those books if I could have read and understood the Bible more. After much reflection on that statement made to me by my uncle, what he was trying to say to me was that he knew the elementary doctrine of personal salvation, but he couldn't understand God's grand narrative for the entire world and how he fit into it. He couldn't find that thread that linked it all together. And unfortunately, at the time, I could not articulate it to him. I'm so grateful to be part of a tradition now that teaches us through our liturgy and our liturgical calendar what the grand narrative is and how I, or more importantly, we, play a part in that greater story, how we fit into God's plan. We as his people are part of a greater story than our I stories can tell. Today we're celebrating Pentecost. We heard people speaking scripture in different languages, all at the same time giving us a feeling of what it might have been like on that day when the Holy Spirit was sent to take, as Luke recorded, to fill the disciples who had gathered there in obedience to Jesus' command. To call it an event underestimates the import of what transpired on that day. God the Father and God the Son sending their Holy Spirit to inhabit human hearts, taking over their mouths to speak in a language those Galileans didn't know naturally, and having them proclaim loudly God's deeds of power in those languages. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit take control of your mouth? I have. We don't have time to go into the context of the story right now, but suffice it to say that years ago, I was grumbling to God consistently about my husband. He just wasn't being who I wanted him to be. And one day I was praying, telling God all about it and asking him to help my husband be different. And the Holy Spirit gently informed me that maybe I needed to speak differently to him. Well, okay. The next time Michael came home, my mouth was full of the same old words and phrases, and they were getting ready to spill out over, over Michael. I was, my mouth was open for the kill. 
And suddenly, it felt like somebody took hold of my tongue and I couldn't say a word. I'm standing there and not until I realized that I needed to talk differently was I loosed for our conversation. The power of God's steadfast love was there that day for Michael and for Patricia. It was on display that day. Now seriously, God's steadfast love to send his Holy Spirit to inhabit us a rebellious lot, to empower us to do his will, could be that thread that links the grand narrative together. This morning, we're going to explore what Pentecost meant to the people who were there and what it means to us, 21st century Christians at, Saint, uh, at the Cathedral of St. Luke's in Orlando, Florida. We're going to do that by exploring the text of Acts to expand our understanding of what Luke records. We're going to unpack what Pentecost meant to the Jewish apostles and to um, in their Old Testament text and what meaningful connections we can bring to the New Testament. And we're going to reflect on how we collectively can respond to the great and good gift that God has bestowed and bestows upon us. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The disciples were all together in one place because in Acts 1, Jesus had told them to wait for Jerusalem, for the, in Jerusalem, for the promise of the Father. Jesus said, come together, wait together. You, plural, will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was and is for a people, not just a person. It was the fulfillment of a promise of the Father that the sending of the Holy Spirit was specifically to empower his people, plural, to become witnesses for Jesus. This text is not speaking to what Paul addresses to later about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's another homily. This unique event is, according to many scholars, the birthing of God's church. And that's significant because the outcome of the event for each individual there was the power to become witnesses for Jesus. That is the purpose of it, to be empowered by the Spirit of God himself to be witnesses to Jesus. Today we celebrate the birth of God's church and its mission to be a witness in the world to Jesus. God purposed Pentecost from ages ago. It was an event that had been planned, spoken about, and foreshadowed in the Old Testament. In Judea, in, Juda in Judaism, there's a festival called Shavuot. It's referred to as the Feast of Weeks. And it's referred that way because it occurred seven weeks and one day after Passover, 50 days. Remember, Passover was the event that happened when God told the Israelites in preparation for their deliverance from Egypt to kill a lamb for each household, a spotless lamb, and put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost on the lentil. They were to be clothed, ready to leave as they ate the meal of the lamb. 
50 days after that event, the Israelites were at Mount Sinai, receiving from God the Ten Commandments, God's law. God rescued them from Egypt for the purpose of bringing them to himself. In parallel, Pentecost, a word that is derived from the Greek Pentecoste, which means 50th, occurred on the 50th day after the Lamb of God was crucified, killed, blood spilled over the lintel of the world. So, and 50 days after that time, we come to Pentecost. On that day, God gave the disciples the living law of God into their hearts, empowering them to do his will. In fulfillment of God the Father's promise that he would write his laws on their hearts, take their hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh through the power of the Holy Spirit. In our gospel reading today, Jesus tells us, or actually he tells Philip, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he's with you and he will be in you. What did that mean to the apostles, all of whom were Jewish, and the disciples, most of whom were Jewish? They would have known that the coming of God's Spirit was a fulfillment of his promise to them. It's written in their scripture in Jeremiah, Isaiah. Let's look at just one bit of Ezekiel 36:25. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. That is God's steadfast love on display. Knowing that without his spirit inside of them, they would never be able to live how they were made to live. God's narrative includes his having to send his son to be crucified, be risen so that the father and the son could send their spirit to inhabit us. The apostles knew that God had not only delivered them from sin and death, but that now he had brought himself to them. It reminds me of the climax of Exodus. You know how after they finally come to their senses, the second time they've got the law, and they say, yes, yes, we're going to be obedient to you. And so God instructs Moses to build a tabernacle so that he can live in the midst of all, right in the middle of all the tribes. So they all come together, they build this tabernacle, and in, at the very last, chapter 40, they set it all up, and they're all waiting, and 
The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and the Lord's presence was with his people and a cloud by day and fire by night and all the nations around could see that God was their God and they were his people, which was the whole purpose of his being their God in the first place. So in Acts 2.12, what are the responses that we have to, to this cacophony of, of languages, and yet it's not cacophony, they're actually understanding. In 2.12 we read, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered, and they said, oh, they're filled with new wine, but, but Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, they're not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And then he goes and he recites those passages we heard. There were three responses to this unnatural event, three reactions. The first group was amazed and perplexed. They were confused because they were hearing in their own language. This is significant because in Genesis, in our Genesis text, confusion happened at the Tower of Babel, but it was not caused by, by the understanding. It was caused because they couldn't understand. God scattered them. While at Pentecost, they were confused by their ability to understand. It seems God gathered them. Right? God broke down the language barrier, indicating that he wanted his gospel to be for all people, all races, all nations. To build his kingdom on earth, as opposed to building the, king, the people's kingdom where they wanted to build their own name at, at the Tower of Babel. This group, this first group of people were confused, but they were curious. They were open to the possibility that God could take over their mouths. And they were probably about to be the new converts that we see a little later. The second group was, they were sneerers. They, they were scoffers. They joked. They joked about it. They attributed the event to a group being drunk. You know, they had no room for the divine taking over human mouths. And they refused to understand. And the third group was represented by Peter. Notice he wasn't alone. He had the 11 apostles with him. Peter, the apostle who had denied Jesus three times before the crucifixion, He's the one who stands up by the power of the Holy Spirit with boldness to address those who can't understand. He brings them the thread of God's greater narrative in the book of Joel. He's speaking to the Jewish people and they completely understand what he's referencing. In Joel, God announces the good news of salvation for all people. These Jewish people, they understood that God was fulfilling his promise to save. Even though they, like we, are rascals, God's will is that all repent and be saved and that all know his steadfast love and faithfulness and be brought into his kingdom. That's the great story. And Pentecost asks us to put down our I stories 
and take up his story? How can we respond to this great and good gift that God has given us, has bestowed and continues to bestow upon us this gift of participation? Three responses. Be amazed and perplexed by it. Not understanding, but be willing to be open to the idea that God has come to live amongst us and within us and has the power to take over our mouths, to reveal himself to us, to give us a new life in his kingdom. Be a scoffer. Refuse to believe that the divine penetrates the material world and can control your mouth. Close the door to his grace, his goodness, his steadfast love, and his salvific mercy. Or receive and recognize we've been given the greatest gift known to humankind. The presence of the very Holy Spirit of God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, Redeemer, who has chosen because of his steadfast love and his faithfulness to save us by replacing our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh so that we can love as he loves, giving us the ability to participate in the greater story of redemption by being witnesses to his son, Jesus. Pentecost is a day to celebrate the birth of God's church, but in celebrating, let us remember our purpose in being his church. Our purpose is to witness to the world for Jesus. How we love each other. Remember, Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. How we care for our widows. How we care for our orphans. Our elderly. Our children. How we care for the oppressed and the downtrodden. How we love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, just the other day, this past week, we had a senior parishioner who is by herself. This church is her family. And she had an emergency she needed to go to the doctor for. Well, her normal helpers that come from this church were all gone. And so word got out. And a parishioner dropped what he was doing, drove over to the towers, picked her up, and took her to her appointment. And then another parishioner, because later she had to go to the emergency room, another woman picked her up and took her there. That is a witness for the world. We're called to proclaim his name, the name of Jesus that name that is above all other names, the all-powerful name of Jesus. I remember when I was 12 hearing that name for the first time. And when I heard the name, I didn't hear a message, I just heard the name Jesus. And my heart was warmed and I had tears running down my face. It affected me. Proclaim his name. It works. 
People around us sometimes just need us to drop everything and walk beside them, pray with them, befriend them, and at a proper time, give a reason for the peace and the love and the contentment that is in our hearts. You know, you know what people desperately need? They need us to be his church for them. There is a dying world out there. Today, 47% of people in America identify with going to a church, a synagogue, or a mosque, down from 70% in 1999. Our country is in the new mission field. They need us. They need us to be able to articulate and to show them by our actions how to find that thread of the, of the greater story of God's love and redemption for them. Amen.